0: Merhaba, everyone. Welcome to the fifth episode of SESA, an Island Talks podcast. This is Meltem calling from Famagusta. Today I'm hosting Dr. Metin Murat, who is the author of the recently published novel, The Crescent Moon Fox. Metin Murat is a British author of Cypriot origin from his father's side. He grew up in a multicultural environment with deep exposure to English, French, and Welsh cultures. For much of his working life, he has had close ties with North Africa, the Levant, and the Gulf. He received his history and literary education from Aberystwyth University with an undergraduate degree and later a PhD, by a master's degree at Lancaster University, and his business education from the London School of Economics. Today we will be elaborating on Metin's debut novel, The Crescent Moon Fox*. The Crescent Moon Fox is a humanistic novel which debunks heteronormativity and nationalist imaginations while depicting the Cypriot society, including the turbulent years in Cyprus, from the eyes of its two protagonists, Zeki and Aydın. Zeki, an ambitious and intelligent Turkish-speaking separate boy, realizes himself through the power of education which he receives thanks to the support from the British authorities and Major Gamble, his mom Emina and his sister Aysel, and from Aydan, who is the adopted son of his mother's best friend Zeynep. Aydan is gay and he manages to create a baklava business with the help of Zeynep. Despite the insularities of his society, Aydan achieves greatness and redemption. The novel not solely describes in detail the separate traditions and perceptions from 1933 until the early 2000s and it is also not shy to deconstruct some traditions through various ways, for instance by giving a voice to gendered subalterns like Emine and Zeynep, which is personally what I love the most about Mittin's writing. Overall, The Crescent Moon Fox is compassionate, heartbreaking, brutal, and humorous simultaneously. It is an absolute page-turner which elevates Turkish-speaking Sephiroth to the center of the Eastern Mediterranean literature. I cannot recommend it enough. The Crescent Moon Fox's book lounge and signing event in Cyprus will take place on 26th of May at the Home for Cooperation. The book was published by Armida Publications in March 2022. Armida Publications is an independent bookshop and publication house located in South Nicosia. Armida specializes in Eastern Mediterranean literature. For more information on the book lounge and signing event, please check the social media pages of Armida Publications and the Home for Cooperation. Dear Metin, thank you very much for accepting my invitation. It is such a pleasure and an honor to have you at SESTA.
1: And I'm privileged to. Be meeting with somebody from my own village whose uh, grandmother would have known my aunt and my father and uh, i'm very touched and moved
0: the same here with no further ado i would like to begin asking my questions mitten your book is groundbreaking in many different ways to begin with you are a turkish speaking Cypriot whose book was published by armida publications Different news outlets, including the Financial Mirror, set as their headlines, debut Turkey Cypriot author has Greek Cypriot publisher to announce the publication of your book. One of the aims of your book is to use literature as a path to tolerance and reconciliation. Indeed, throughout your book, intercommunal empathy is generated through different scenes. For instance, one scene that touched me greatly was the aftermath of the boxing match between Helios and Ismail, which results with Helios losing his one eye. You write as follows. Ismail looked at the money. He held it in his hand. He had won it fair and square. It was as much as he could hope to earn in two years of hard work back in the village. Instead of walking straight back to Bamyakul with his money in his hand, he turned and went over to the man he had defeated, Helios. I'm sorry for your eye. They should have given us clothes. The Greek separate fighter didn't say anything. Ismail reached down and touched him on the shoulder and then laid the envelope of money on his chest and walked away to join Isela and the boys. And there are many other powerful scenes as such. So, my first question is, what do you think is the role of literature in deconstructing nationalist imaginations and reconstructing inclusive imaginations at a post-colonial, post-conflict space like Cyprus?
1: That's a very uh, big question. Um, look, I, I think our island history is, is complicated, I think it's a lot of um, full of a lot of emotions. And I think that when you try to argue your case based on statistics, based on history, you never get very far with with the other side. And so what strikes me is that the role of literature, indeed the role of art in general and music, is that you can touch people who may not necessarily agree with you in a completely different way. And I've often uh, thought when I was writing this book about that passage uh, from The Merchant of Venice by Shakespeare, when... Uh, the Jewish merchant says, "If I, if you prick me, do I not bleed?" And it was that sense of giving humanity, particularly to, to Turkish Cypriots, so that other people may feel what we suffered, what we what we felt, and what experienced, showing us, you know, showing our fears and our sufferings, as well as the fact that we could be warm, decent people as, as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. Literature is a great tool for showing our fears and showing our suffering. And my second question is actually related to that, because in my humble opinion, your book is an important gesture towards the Turkish-speaking community of Cyprus. And you said that one of the aims of your book is to tell the story of your father's community. Your book thus addresses a gap in the Eastern Mediterranean literature, at least the Eastern Mediterranean literature in English, and gives a rightful voice to the Turkish-speaking Cypriots at an international level. Um, Beyond a personal interest, why do you think it is important to tell the story of your father's community at an international level?
1: We, as Turkish Cypriots, are at a crossroads. I fear that within a generation... uh, we will have been diluted and our culture will have been dismantled and i'm talking about culture of turkish cypriots which existed pre-1974 and i think the turkish cypriot community has to make a a decision has to make a choice on whether it wants to be turkish as part of mainland turkey or whether it wants to be cypriot i.e turkish cypriot Uh, and i think there's an important distinction if we do nothing we will fade away And maybe we'll just make the choice that we want to be part of Turkey. Uh, I'm not saying we should do one thing or the other. I'm not saying there are uh, right or wrong answers. But I do say that it is important for at least to have left a record of who we were as people. And I think we had a special culture. We had a special identity. And it is that that I wanted to preserve and cherish. And particularly, I wanted to celebrate the women of our community, particularly of that generation, which many of whom were tragically... Uh, were illiterate. And it was something that was very, very important for me.
0: We will return to the question of uh, women in Turkish Cypriot society soon. But before there is something which I'd like to ask you in particular, um, because you have talked about um, the Turkish Cypriot history. Um, no matter how much I enjoyed reading your book, I disagree with you on the point of British colonialism, dear mm. Mitin. In an interview which you gave to Cypriots worldwide, you said that, in the historical context, I would argue that the Turkish-Cypriot experience of British colonialism was very positive. Hmm. And indeed, one could argue that Zeki is constructed upon your positive vantage on British colonialism. Hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Why do you think the Turkish-Cypriot experience of British colonialism was positive?
1: Hmm. And I'm delighted that you disagree with me, and and it's good to be disagreed with and and so we can make it just for, just for a better conversation. Um, why do I think that? Um, so, uh, f- f- first of all, as you've picked up, I focused on Turkish Cypriot experience uh, of British colonialism. I haven't talked about the Greek Cypriot experience because I'm not partic- I'm not so familiar with how they, how they view it. And I know that there's some negativity, especially when I read some of their works by their academics, uh, they take a very, uh, Marxist view and a fairly aggressive view towards, towards the British. Um why is my my view positive? My view is positive because I've looked at the diff- some of the different colonial regimes who've occupied Cyprus, for example, the the the, the Ottomans, um I have looked at uh, the Romans and some of the other intermediary uh, uh uh occupiers. And one of the things I looked at was just the way in which these different powers took care of the, the way in which they were custodians of our of our island. And so my favorite ones, frankly, were the Romans. Uh, But uh, the the reason that I am quite positive uh, about the British is that I see that unlike the Ottoman Empire, they actually made a very uh, strong investment in infrastructure. Uh, Infrastructure development is an incredibly important way of developing an economy. So for every dollar spent on infrastructure, you typically get a three times return. And so you can see that this facilitated commerce uh, and trade for us. Um, they certainly improved the, some aspects of the banking system and insurance for the farmers, which I think was positive. And they were also decent, good quality uh, administrators. And you know, when I when I when I look at, for example, different other uh, post-colonial writers uh, and some of my favorites are Nigerian, as it happens. And I'm thinking, for example, of, of Chinua Achebe. And and Chinua Achebe, in no way would you know would, would, was a supporter of British colonialism. What he does, though. Pay homage to and pay respect to is the quality of administration, fair, decent, honest, and so on and so forth. And it is that which I kind of I, I kind of celebrate. And I suppose I look at what has happened to Cyprus since Britain uh, has left, and I think that if Britain had stayed, I think that they, they would have made improvements to the education system. I think our collective education system has been a terrible problem for us. And I think, I think, I think the, the British would have uh, addressed that. And certainly it would have been, I think, better for Turkish Cypriots if we'd had uh, British passports and, and allowed some of the uh, benefits uh, of, of access to, to, to the UK. So I, I, I that's the, re- I kind of think generally the reasons why I'm, I'm supportive of British colonialism. I am, of course, aware of some of the criticism, which are around divide and rule and that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I think on balance, I, I'm pretty sympathetic to the British.
0: Mm-hmm. I understand. And indeed, with Ziki, you can read that. Um, one thing um, that you give a lot of attention in the book is education. Let's return back to the question of women and gendered subalterns for a minute. Throughout your writing, not only you deconstruct ethnic nationalism, but you also deconstruct patriarchy. And this is a significant act, especially given that both sides of Cyprus are still culturally politically and socially patriarchal and heteronormative. First of all, uh, one of the protagonists, Aydan, is a gay man, and then there is Emine, Aysel, and Zeynep. Zeynep is one of my favorite characters, and she experiences the stigma of divorce in the fictive village of Bamyaköy before even turning 20. After her divorce, she stands strong in life by adopting Aiden and by daring to fall in love again with Errol, And she helps Aiden to establish a thriving baklava business. You demolish traditional gender roles again and again in your book. For instance, you write as follows. Zeynep was good to her promise. She took care of Aiden like he was her own. But then she went to do something that separate mothers don't do for their sons. She taught him how to cook. He learned first the food that makes up the staples of the Cypriot table, rough-chopped village hummus, wine leaves stuffed with rice on weekdays, stuffed with both meat and rice on weekends and holidays, shoes of okra and beans, owen kebabs, macaroni sprinkled with helium and mint. But then she moved on to sharing her own passion, the making of baklava. I'm feeling hungry, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Petr is
1: on the road, by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but my question is, how do you think deconstructing traditional gender norms in literature contributes to the establishment of a culture of peace in Cyprus?
1: I, I think, I, I, you know, again, it's, I, I don't, I'm not sure I have, all the, I have all the answers, but certainly I think it is important for us to step away as Cypriots, I'm talking generally as Cypriots, from this, this, this horrible, uh, narrative we have. It's some sort of like Mickey Mouse Hollywood narrative of eternal, uh, struggle between Greek and Turk. Uh, it is just ridiculous. You know, we're supposed to live this, this story all the time. And I think one of the ways to do that is to show that there are different forms of being. There is different forms of courage. And it, there is nothing to say that a, a, a gay man cannot be brave or braver than, than, than a heterosexual man. And, and, and forever, time, all the times of being been in, in, in Cyprus, it's a whole big macho culture uh, uh, about, you know, being tough, being a man, a man does this, a man does that, and so on and so forth, and he drives a car, you know, it's all this kind of testosterone-fueled identity, which is just so unhelpful, um, and, and you know, and is the cause of, of, of our problems. And, and so I think, you know, I deliberately, had my one of my heroes has been a as a gay man and um I, I i hope it will help people see things differently
0: it does indeed and i cannot stop but make this comment that also seeing things from a global perspective maybe it's really time that we just get rid of this testosterone fueled identity everywhere in the world i mean look at what's going on in ukraine it's exactly i think the same problem
1: I, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that I, that I find a little bit painful about our society, um, and I'm talking now about being in Turkish Cyprus is that we have so few women as ministers. I, I, many years ago, I, I, like you, I'm sure I, I studied Plato's Republic. And so over 2000 years ago, Plato made the argument very, very clearly that a society that didn't bring its women fully into daily life, was losing half of its talent. I mean he made he made that argument over two thousand years ago. And still today I look around and we don't see enough women in in business and enough women in, in, in politics. And and I see fortunately I see a younger generation around me. I think you're a proof of that, but also I'd say my my own daughter or some of the some of the young women I see running businesses here, that they're coming to their own, they're assertive. And I think our role as men is to support our sisters and nieces. In their successes because i think the world will be better if we have greater gender diversity uh, and if we get different perspectives particularly when it comes comes to solving political problems Uh, because if you leave problem solving to old men you get old men solutions and they're so yesteryear i mean you know the future belongs to younger people and it belongs to women and we have to be there as men to support our women
0: Yes, exactly. And I couldn't agree more. I would like to finish our interview with a personal question, at least if I may. Despite that your book is a work of fiction with a certain political importance, it seems to me that it is uh, also a personal uh, story. Maybe a personal reconciliation, who knows? Um, would it be wrong to assume that your writing is a way of embracing more Uh, Metin Murat, which is maybe sometimes overwhelmed by uh, Metin Mitchell.
1: So you're referring to the fact that I have a professional identity, which is Metin Mitchell, as you've you've so rightly picked up. Metin Murat is a gesture of love, I suppose, because obviously Murat is the name of my father. Uh, And let us be clear, this story is not about my father. My father did have uh, an impressive life, uh, but this is not about Murat per se. It was... Uh, a story inspired by people that I have known, like my aunt, by people of my village, my community. So it is, it is in that sense, extremely uh, uh, personal. But I wouldn't read into the need for getting reconciliation with myself. Um, this is a gesture for my community. Um, many years ago, when I first came to Cyprus as, as a young man, one of the things I remembered from what I was told is that it is the responsibility of an educated person to speak up for their community. And that's what I've tried to do. You know, today we have lots of educated women and men. Back then, when I was coming, we didn't have, and I didn't want their stories to be lost. So, you know, where there are echoes is of, of my own aunt uh, who was illiterate. Um, and I'm sure the similarities between my aunt and your grandmother would be, would be very similar. And I, and that lady, who was my aunt was a strong character. She was funny. Uh, she was charismatic. She had so much to give the world and she was at peace. And I, and I think sometimes when I see in the West, I see women, you know, going on about gendered suppletons, and they think that maybe a poor Muslim woman like my aunt, you know, w- w- is in a terrible situation. Whereas I can remember that my aunt was both a woman who was at peace with herself and at peace with her sexuality. And that was one of the things that, that, that always just touched me move moving. I think that's important to, to, to also to share with the outside world. And when I say at peace, for example, the sexuality, I remember, you know, one of her great complaints, uh, when she was in her, I think, her late seventies or early eighties, and her husband was in his nineties and he had two cancer. He had prostate and lung cancer from smoking too many cigarettes. A big concern, a big thing that she, she was com- complaining about, was that he no no longer made love to her every single day. That was, you know, it was down to like once a week or twice a week. And that was her (laughs) life, you know. What have I done? My husband no longer loves me.
0: Wow. What a great way to end our interview. (laughs) Dear Metin, thank you very much for making time today. And thank you very much for your gesture towards a turkish speaking community it is received with a lot of love and um, thank you very much for sharing your educated perspective with us and for elevating us to the center of the eastern mediterranean literature i'm looking forward to participating to the book lounge and signing event on 26th of may at the home for cooperation dear listeners for more information on the event please visit the social media pages of our meta publications and the home for cooperation thank you for listening please feel free to like Comment or share this fifth episode of Sessa and Island Talks and follow us on social media. Stay healthy, stay with peace, and stay tuned. The first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus Island Talks, open, diverse, free.